Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today's guest is musician and rock star James Wells. James Wells is the lead singer and guitar player of a band called The Gay Blades. Yes, that's right. There's a band called The Gay Blades. They have two records, their first record being Ghosts and their second record being Savages. Those two records are some of my all-time favorite pieces of music. I discovered them through a mutual friend, and I became such a huge fan that I went to so many shows. In this conversation, we dig so deep in the music that I think it's imperative you guys have some context. So before we dig into the conversation, I'm going to play you a song off their first record called Oh Shot. Here it is.
I first came to your attention, I think in like 2010, we met through Jonathan Sullivan. Yeah. Because you toured with your band, The Gay Blades, and you guys opened for Jack's Mannequin in London? Yeah, we did like a, a four four dates with those guys. And uh, Jonathan is just, as you know, I don't yeah. know if you've got a chance to speak uh, on this podcast about him yet. He's but... coming on soon. Oh my I got to prep my audience though. You know, yeah. I got to give them some. He is a wild man of yeah. uh, of indie rock and 10 other things. He, <laughs> yeah. he really can't. He's a kind of. Uh, he's developed his own language. He's a you... wild person. Yeah. He's a wild person. He's a man that defies any kind of categorization. <laughs> he is constantly surprising me. And he, but I think he just has this massive heart yeah he's like one of the most generous with his um time and he's a genuine human being and i think that's he 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 is so unique and it is so obvious that he is uh he 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 would not be as unique as he was if he was being disingenuous in any way no one is like that on purpose, and and it right. all comes from his love of music, which you, you sure. have to love. Yeah, he plays. So he, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, he was this. Uh, um, he's an amazing bass player. He was he was my guitar teacher. Oh wow, that's, that's how, how we met. met. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. When I was when I was seven years old at his rock show, and he was twenty one. Yeah, I mean, there's a photo of me on stage, seven years old, really? with like a blood thing squirting out of me doing the rock and roll thing uh you had like a blood pack like a yeah but pack i was it was halloween so i oh, had a I like a skeleton costume oh cool yeah, yeah. and well, then we became friends and he was dressed in drag because that's how he used to perform amazing they performed in a ska band all wearing drag yeah and somehow my dad was like yeah this guy's great he should be your guitar teacher like, okay <laughs> yeah because well, you can't go to, to a rock show too alone to at dad. seven yeah no, you can't. Not in a skeleton costume. It was at this like, amazing old rock and roll venue called Twisters, where actually Nirvana and Soundgarden played before mm-hmm. it closed. Okay, so this is a story joint in Richmond, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Richmond? Now, now it's... I don't even think anything's there now. There was like a, a weird couple venues that tried to open after it, but it never mm-hmm. really became what it was. So we met because Jonathan was an incredibly kind human being, yeah. and he... Uh, we toured with Jack's Mannequin in the UK, did four shows he was so sweet the rest of the guys were so sweet as well but then when the gay blades went back to our normal lives of playing like little minuscule venues <laughs> yeah he he set up a show for us and that's i think that's when we yeah, met yeah, right it was in that Richmond. That, yeah because i yeah. think he helped promote it or that was when you guys were touring with savages i think probably yeah which yeah our second record with warner brothers yeah well anyway before that record mm-hmm. came out you he introduced me to your music before mm-hmm. i even met you and I remember just being blown away. Oh, wow. That's so nice. It was like, <laughs> it was one of the coolest record. What was that first record called? Ghosts. Ghosts. It yeah. was like one of the most awesome records I had ever heard. And it was so nuanced and texturized and the tones mm. were so cool. And I just, I immediately went on YouTube and you guys had such a cool media presence in those black and white videos that you mm-hmm. guys did of you performing those tunes blew me away. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, like, so putting the timeline together, yeah. this was, you know, 2005, six through... 2000 and you know when we met which was probably 2010 yeah it was 2011 or something so like during that time we were just really adept at like making weird fun videos i'm i'm so happy to hear you say nice things about the record but the, i think the main reason that anybody in any music community knew us is because we had these videos that we would do and they were just either us performing or just running around and interviewing people made on the street style yeah. or you just had an ama- yeah. and, you, and you had that fictitious persona right what it right. was puppy mills and clark westfield it was, it was yeah 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 it was puppy mills aka the snitch and and clark westfield aka the aristocrat of crime yeah which was our two fake 
because we were in like lots of bands in Jersey and we and none of them were popular and they were all fine yeah. bands. So we started this band called the Gay Blades and uh and then made these all we would and we would dress up too. We were cross dressing and painting our faces black. Yeah. Like if we what we thought being in an art punk band was yeah. because we didn't know any art punk bands and we were like this is what an art punk band would do I, I would walk around hanging out you know cans of cat food yeah it kind of comes back to like <clears throat> what now people call trolling but in the best sense of that term you guys yeah. were doing it before it even existed as a term yeah we, we yeah what, <laughs> what people do online is what we would do at our shows but the reason <laughs> yeah. i bring all this up is because like yeah. you're one of my all-time favorite bands and like oh, man i dude, say this not so even just because you're in the room like you were like honestly, one of the top five frontmen I've ever seen perform a live show in my life. That's so cool. And before we get into the work, I'm curious to kind of dig in from the beginning. Where, yeah. where did you grow up, James? Uh, yeah, I grew up in a. I, was, I always say a little town, but it was a huge town. This very pastoral town on the New York State border in northern New Jersey. It was like it's called West Milford. It's 90 square miles, but like I think something like 80, 75, 80 percent of that land is either wildlife reserve or um watershed so it's all protected forest land essentially so it was a very secluded i grew up i grew up across the street from a lake did your parents have acreage or well yeah we yeah so i also i was like super poor so yeah this is and this is like totally one of those places where like you know if you ever see these towns that were built around like lake vacations in the sixties and fifties and forties and stuff that used to happen in the state in the states. Wow. You know, people would go to like lakes. That's where they, and there would be all these little bungalows. So as people stopped going to on lake vacations, those bungalows became homes for poor people. Wow. And that's where I grew up. So I grew up in this like lake community. Uh, and some of the homes were very nice and like larger kind of old vacation homes or farmhouses and stuff. And, yeah. But there was this like very du- – then then there was another part of town that was much nicer and there was the commuting class that people commuted into the city. This was kind of white <clears throat> color, blue color. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 How about this? It was It was even geographical. So I grew up up the mountain. People would describe where I lived as up the mountain. Wow. Where do you live, up the mountain or down the mountain? Oh, my God. Totally. So I Did you have up... an idea of that as a kid? That oh, you were... my. First of all, yes. I, I knew I was – I grew up on welfare. So we were on welfare. We had food stamps. I have I have had and continue to have immense shame about that growing up. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. If I had a therapist, that's all we would <laughs> yeah. talk about. Um but yeah, so I grew up up the mountain, which was like a very, which is, very, it's so strange as I say it now as an yeah. adult, because I, I don't really have to utter Kids those are the words. worst, man. Yeah. Well, it's, it wasn't yeah. even like yeah. kids. It was just it's like, good. that was the geography yeah. of the town. You wow. lived up the mountain or you lived on the bottom of the mountain Jesus. in the valley. So it was, so like all of the nice homes, and there's, certainly there were nice homes up the mountain. Yeah. I don't mean to say that. I, it's it, and, I, and I am being very, uh, <laughs> I'm being... Uh, very broad strokes when I say that, but yes, the poor kids were up the mountain. The less poor kids were down. The was mountain. was there an industry in that town? No, because no, no, there's no, a lot no, of no. manufacturing in New Jersey, but I, you know, there is, but not here. There, Got it. Like I said, it was mostly watershed and wildlife reserve. Okay. So there was no industry. It was so, like mom and pop stores. You know, um, what did your parents do? If you don't mind, yeah. Asking? So my mom was a was a stay at home mom uh-huh. of, uh, and then my dad was an electrician. Well, wow. so he, he, you know, he would he was out of he was IBEW International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, yeah. uh, union guy, and he worked out of Patterson and would work in New York and New Jersey wherever the the trade took him. My folks split up when I was in second grade, so I was like seven. And then my mom went and like got some kind of 
degree of some sort and then ended up getting like essentially like learning basics office skills. Wow. And then got a job at a car dealership, which she still does to this day. And uh, and they stayed or they split up? They split up. So, uh, yeah, my mom raised me. We stayed in West Milford till I was 18 years, 17 years old. Yeah. And then my dad moved down on the Jersey Shore, which is where, fast forward, after my freshman year of college, I went to UConn. I came back and uh, I stayed with my dad and I worked with him as an electrician's assistant. Wow. And I met uh, the guy who essentially led me into the world of music as an original songwriter and stuff. Because I was always just playing other people's tunes and he was a songwriter. Got it. So I, yeah. as a young kid, were you were you playing guitar? Or? Uh, I, I started playing guitar when I was like 11 or 12 or okay. something. Like but taking I was like, lessons or just kind of I did learned, at some point. Yeah. I was taking lessons and, you know, the, which it never it felt suitable to me because they were like here's some scales to practice and here's some jazz records to listen to and oh you should jam along with this record and i and for me i always just wanted to be a performer yeah you know so i'm like no i gotta learn a song that i can sing along with the thing and then i'll rip a sick solo totally. like that yeah. is yeah you gotta deserve it yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i um so yeah this uh, you know it was really just a means to play beatles tunes for my sister's like hot friends and that was high school for me pretty much so sort of almost famous style were her records your records you know and her records were my parents records wow really so like uh, you know uh, i was pretty much i was a one trick pony and all i listened to was the beatles the best band of all time that's it yeah i mean that's all i listened to i was just listening to the beatles and learning i had the beatles a to z yeah i would just i have it on my desk right now. that and arguably the beach boys pet sounds yeah and you know and and i think what i think as a kid you kind of see the world as black and white and yeah. on or off right so it, for me I was like oh is it Beatles or Stones it's Beatles there's the Beatles and the Beach Boys yeah. it's Beatles like it was very I was like this is the band this is the only band I didn't listen to much modern music even in high school wow. people like not, not even like Nirvana Soundgarden Grunge or so I, I like touched on a little bit on that before I got into the Beatles and yeah. I was like I bought Pearl Jam 10 and Verses and I liked Pearl Jam over Nirvana again yeah. as a kid I'm like it's Pearl Jam or Nirvana yeah. I cannot like both <laughs> totally. of them you know like, so. Eddie Vedder or Kurt <laughs> exactly yeah. you know? yeah. and then at some point I was like oh Oasis and yeah. I really liked Oasis obviously because they sounded like the Beatles, yeah, you know? it was like, uh, and all that is to say that is all I wanted to do was play the guitar and sing. So, so, and then I met somebody who played the guitar and sang, but he was singing his own tunes, and I was like, "That's so interesting." I didn't know you could do that. This is when you were out of college. This is not, well, not I was like freshman year, so I was eighteen. Oh, okay, you know? so you were so eighteen. Eighteen years old, and I started writing tunes. You know, I was writing songs and. In high school, but like, like playing with my best friend Sean Walker in like secret, wow. you know. But then. I kind of had I had developed enough skills and had listened to enough different kinds of music at that point where I could draw on something that was a little bit more unique, you know, even if it was yeah. totally in its infancy of well, creation. Well, speaking of that, this is yeah. the thing I talk with a lot of artists on this podcast. Do you yeah. feel like you found your your sound, your tone, or it found you? You know, it sounds like the Beatles mm. were a huge influence, like in these mm. early days when you were writing those songs. Did you have yeah. an idea of what you wanted it to sound like, or did you kind of just kind of figure it out as you went? You know, I think that I have to be. If I'm being 100% honest now, and again, it's like, it's been, it's 2019 right now. My my last, like, big record came out in tw- 2010. Yeah. So, it, over the course of the past nine years, I've probably written, you know, a dozen songs when I used to write a dozen songs a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, also, it's like hard. I'm looking back on this, and I may not have the best perspective on it, but I really just wanted to perform 
you know? Yeah. And writing songs and the performance of songs was really, or, 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 or the, the crafting of the song and the, the skills that I was trying to develop were in service of performance. I hate being in the studio. I'm not a disciplined lyricist. I'm not a disciplined, like if you listen to my songs, like a lot of the performance or a lot of like the song structure is based on, especially for the Gay Blades, songs that allowed me to perform them. Yeah. So they're very erratic at points and they'll stop and they'll shift and they'll change. And it's all in service of the performance. So when once I figured that out, that I could craft these little mini operas in these three yeah. minutes or and, and I leaned into listening to the sounds in my er, in my head and I was I was just kind of hearing things and trying to capture them. Yeah. Once I figured that out and it was later in my I it was well in I was probably 25 or 26 when I wrote that first Gay Blades record where it really clicked for me and I was trying to do things that were different and trying because yeah, your lyrics were so clever, you know. Sure. And, and it's also important yeah. I think for the audience who doesn't know yeah. that the Gay Blades is a two-piece band. Oh, it was a yeah. two for yeah. sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also yeah. that was the other thing yeah. is that the songs were structured in a way that uh, as a two-piece they would be interesting you yeah. know and, and um so as far as like a sound if you, you know all the songs are so different but I, once i re- once i knew what kind of performer i wanted to be yeah it made it a lot easier to write tunes and how did you navigate that terrain because now you know kids yeah. have youtube and they can go watch any you know the black keys perform at Lollapalooza. that didn't yeah, yeah. exist when you or i grew up so how did you who did you look up to who were your like you know musical fathers mm-hmm. and mothers so to speak well i got lucky for and like it's a bit different now like the kind of at the time, the guitar, indie guitar rock was all that there was. Like, that was cool music. That yeah. was what was, you know, this is like post-strokes bubble. Yeah. Um, so I was working at a little indie video promotion house at the time called Hip Video Promo. And I promoted music videos for artists, essentially getting them airplay on everything from BET, MTV, Much Music, Fuse, uh and all the way down to these little mom and pops cable access shows. And it was like essentially the college music journal, but for music videos is like the, imagine that world, wow. you know what I mean? The yeah. specialty radio for videos. Yeah. So that was my space. So we did music video uh, promotion for sub pop, bar souk, polyvinyl, jade tree, vice wow. Atlantic. Like we were the kind of cool kid promotion company. So yeah. at the time you know, I stepped into this world and it was like Def Cab for Cutie um, was like one of the first things I ever worked on. And then I heard this band Death From Above 1979, oh, which, oh my God, I know. Yeah, I what a like, game changer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like Block Party, yeah. uh, um, Silent Alarm had just come out and um, Rilo Kylie's More Adventurous. Wow. Do you remember this record? I don't know. It's go back and listen to it. It's incredible. Yeah. And then listen to the Gabe Blades first record and be like, oh, you, you slide on. <laughs> uh, because it was just, a, it was very good songwriting. I really liked it. was very, it was very, um, vulnerable and cool and, yeah. and sexy. But also it was like in a time when 
there was a lot of melodrama around l- lyric writing. Yeah. They seemed to somehow avoid it. So I was like, oh, that's a cool vibe. I got a cop. Well, that. that's what I love yeah. about that ghost record. It oscillates yeah. from being so rock and roll heavy to introspective and like yeah. melodic and kind of almost emotional, you know? It, yeah. And it, I, but, but you but you make it cohesive. And that's a really hard thing to pull off, you well, know? You know, it's funny. It's like, I think if you played any of those songs, like there's obviously a, a recording quality to it that's like pretty unique, which is we didn't know, we had a producer who didn't really know what he was doing we were in a great studio did you have a record deal on that first record no we had done well it eventually got picked up that record came out three times but like (laughs) we we put it out warner brothers put it out and then somebody put it out in the uk and we toured a year on each of them wow so the first three years of the of the gay blades 2007 2008 and 2009 were all touring the same 10 songs yeah Yeah. but it has a sound for sure from one song on them but the songs are so different but there was something about the um and again, this is not something I'm very good at or, or see a lot of value in or something that really exists now, yeah. which is essentially the track listing, you know, the assemblage of tunes, the sequence of the tracks. The way you experience it. In a record that like, it doesn't, you know, this is a singles driven medium now. Totally. So, uh, but yeah, it did not, It you know, these were all songs that I wrote at the, uh, over the course of a year that, you know, were very different experiences and your your partner of the other duo his name was quinn uh Uh, quinn english yeah quinn english was was he writing with you as well we would arrange the stuff together but a lot you know the lyrics and the melodies and stuff i would just be like drinking eight dollar wine in a room in my dad's house or something you know like this is after college i had after many bands had failed you know to make any so there were a few bands on the way to the gay blades there was yeah Yeah. there was three or four bands on the way to the gay blades sure and do you feel like your performance really you started to figure it out as you kind of played in those bands what kind of performer you wanted to be yeah well this was like the anti-band yeah it wasn't supposed to be anything yeah it was supposed to be our what we thought being arty and Brooklyn was kind of the way MGMT spawned. No, but they were arty. Yeah. They were like, oh, we do acid. And we're at like a super liberal arts school, you know, with a bunch of like hyper literate yeah. art kids. And yeah. we were not art kids. I mean, we're, I'm like blue collar, bravado, wannabe intelligentsia. Quinn, I think he went to the 311 show last week. You know what I mean? Like, we're not art kids. But we were just like, this is what an art band would do. Yeah. Because we were just bored. And, we, we, you know, I had a job at a major label at doing video promotion. Quinn was, like, back in school. And he was studying ec- economics. And this was just, like, we were homies. And I had some tunes. And we just wanted to play dress up. Yeah. Do you know? We just wanted to play dress up. And, of course, that's the thing that stuck. The thing we didn't take seriously. <laughs> of course. And we were letting ourselves be, like, really vulnerable, take lots of risks. Get this. The first year of the gay blades i didn't say anything on stage i would sing and that was it i would we would walk around i would smoke cigarettes in rock clubs which i couldn't do at the time yeah i would smoke cigarettes and spit beer on people when they try to talk to me and that was it that was all i would do i would be in basement <laughs> shows in brooklyn and i wouldn't talk to anybody like oh cool show and i spit beer on them I would, was... get, I would get punched it was so fun. It was like yeah. the dumbest thing. And then, then fast forward another year when I found out people liked my band and then I couldn't shut up on stage. I would pay four songs in, <laughs> in an hour and the rest would just be monologues and diatribes. And and at the time, did you have an idea of like Oh Shot, which became the single pretty much of that record, right? Mm-hmm, would you not mm-hmm. say the, at least the foremost one? Oh yeah, that was our, I mean, that was the quote unquote first single. That was the one that got the- Did you have an band. idea of like the hit that was- you know, we wrote this dumb song. I literally, literally that dumb song. And and when you say single, just so everyone knows, like it got on MTV's like subterranean. 
You know what I mean? Like it got played, you know, seven times on MTV two yeah. at in at midnight, and it got you know like there wasn't a it wasn't a huge song, but it was the biggest song we had for sure. But it was the song that I literally said, "Play anything to Quint." I'm like, "Play anything." I'll write a song around it, <laughs> and he played that, and then I wrote that in about as long as it takes to play it it took me to write it there wasn't a whole lot of thought behind it and if anyone here decides to go listen to the song if you listen to it, it you'll be like, so hard oh you're like oh i see what he means like <laughs> it's just writes itself but i knew it was uh i knew i knew enough like i said i knew enough to be dangerous and i we never acted like a regular band so people didn't people just assumed we were bigger than we were even yeah. like now i think i think you think we were a bigger band <laughs> No, we were I, no, like I, I, we probably I, sold ten thousand records. I know, you know, I know the level you were, but I yeah. thought I still think you could be the biggest band in the world because, like, I remember it was right before the Black Keys blew up on that Brothers record, and I was like, this band does everything this band wished they could do so much better and so much more self aware, and like. I, I remember showing it to people who were fans of the Black Keys, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And it's just like, I think it's, I mean, if anything, it's nostalgia for like me discovering your record and mm-hmm. what what a monumental influence it had on me. Oh, that's really and, nice. And then like at the time, you know, what you guys were doing, you know, going back to trolling, you just had such a cool media presence that deviated from the, like you said, you were the anti-band, you know, you yeah. did everything different. And he threw it on its head. And so as these people started to rally around your songs, how did that affect you? Because you, you guys, well, I, I was a careerist. You had like a cult following. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We were the like the the we were the nerdy weirdo band uh, kids band. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like cool kids did not like our band. Like yeah. w- like sound guys would be like, "You guys are sick." Yeah. <laughs> we would used to say we would say that like we could play just. Like the sound guy, we could play a sound guy convention and kill. Yeah. The sound guys loved us. Uh, I would get gifts from sound guys. Wow. Sound guys would be like, I love your sound. I got this thing. Like somebody, some band left some gear and he'd be like, you guys, could you use this in your set? And like, they loved us. Sound guys loved us. Uh, I loved it. How did it, I was a careerist, man. I Like I had no, to this day, I'm still the same way. I have no qualms about like grind the grind yeah do you know what i mean so i'm like all right i got this i'm gonna take that with this i'm gonna do this that band has this management i'm gonna do a split with that band then their management will bring us out with the bigger band on there like i was you're very tactical i was super tactical and and driven and unafraid and now i look back on on that and it's like so audacious you know i'm like yeah even like the the things that I would write and and the ways that I would, the interviews we used to give, like we would get, we were, did an because you would do them in character, dude. Right? Enemy, <laughs> enemy, enemy, which is arguably one of the biggest indie rock mags, yeah, ever. on the planet, yeah. Did an interview, like interviewing us, and all we did was lie to them about like <laughs> joining a circus, and the guy was so pissed off. Everything we did was started to work to our benefit and then i don't think we ever had and and i say this with awareness and again having some distance from it i don't think we had a song that could like cash the check do you know what i mean it was like we had a bunch of opportunities like we should have been able to turn them into something but we didn't have the songs we didn't have we were not good enough live like as a 
tight big thing there was no crossover appeal to a band called the gay place yeah. you know? <laughs> especially you know? in th- those times yeah, you know it wasn't the progressive euphoria days we live in now yeah and like and even now i'm sure it would be problematic in the opposite direction right people totally. would be like you're not gay you're, re- you're claiming our culture yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. Uh, well kind of yeah. you know, <laughs> it's a spectrum exactly well that was yeah. the thing i was yeah. like well we're each like 60 percent to 70 percent gay so that's like 140 percent gay <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and like nobody thought that was funny then <laughs> maybe I'm dying here yeah. yeah but I mean like so I think it, you know it was a dude like I said I, I, I'm I'm so grateful that all that that time happened it it, it wow it gave I my wife my now wife uh, you know I met her uh, we on the road on, not on the road but I was working at a little indie label called Eyeball Records at the time. I had left EMI to go there so I could work on the Gay Blades and be less stressed So you had a survival job while you were touring? You didn't just, like, quit and do the van band <sighs> I, thing? I eventually did. Like, when we got signed, I quit. Uh, so I, I was at EMI, and I had I was, like, sleeping under my desk. Yeah. And it was a really hard job. I was, like, I'm 24, and I was, like, a manager of video promotion. My boss was very talented, but very, like, insane. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was overworked. I would work on the weekends. I mean, this is like what you do when you're a kid, right? Yeah. You just grind. So I was doing that, and I and I was playing the band, and the band started to get like buzz, and I was like, eh, let me see if I can tour. So I I quit that job and went to uh, a Warner's subsidiary called Eyeball, and I they said that you can have four weeks off a year wow. to tour, and I was like, that's great. Once a season, I can yeah. go out on it for a week long. Yeah. At that time, it was like. Were you just doing the Northeast Corridor, or were you, were you guys... At, at that time, yeah. At that time... I'm not trying to think. Yeah. At that time, we were just doing... Not even Northeast, but just the East Coast. From Chicago to Maine to Florida. And I imagine two, what... Two weeks. The, at this time, the the Asbury Lanes were probably... Was it your home venue, or...? Probably, yeah. yeah Asbury yeah. Lanes with yeah. the Saint um, was our was our ho- hometown hang, for sure. And then going back to that thing that you talk about, uh, where you you couldn't write that song, you have this in your next record, Savages. You have this yeah. great song called Puppy Mills Presents, which is mm. a song about the struggles of an artist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, it, it felt like again, it was like t- kind of taking the piss out of a song. I yeah. mean, it's again, it's not structured as a song would be structured. <laughs> it's right? a monologue almost. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like this. Yeah. There's no chorus. Yeah, it has. It has a, a, a huge derivation in tempo and feel yeah. in the middle of it. It has like queen guitar minis. But it's that, a total. It's a. It's a piss taking the piss out of a song. And uh, but yeah, it talks about it, it, the whole song is about just being like broken. One of the things I'm so proud of is that we, like I said, we, I just kept driving on it, and I kept. If there was a step to take, I would take it. Yeah. And sometimes we had to take a step back, you know, and ultimately we took several steps back very quickly at the end there. But I never have to say, what if? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I never have to say like, oh man, if only I, because I got us and Quinn too, I don't say I, but we rallied more opportunities than we deserved. Yeah. And we were good fun weirdo people that people liked being around and i know that that's a huge part of it but even still the only thing i would be like what would happen if i was a better songwriter 
was better From guitar player yeah, you know yeah, something yeah, you know yeah, or like yeah. i had more vision yeah. I, I don't i don't have those things yeah. so with the tools that i had i accomplished more than i deserve so i now can make a great living uh helping people discover the right kind of music that they need for advertising yeah. you know so but i don't have to be like oh man Oh, we could have been the Kings of Leon. Don't, don't go no, down Fortune Street to Guitar Center and yeah. wonder. No, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, have, I'm yeah, like, I'm, yeah, we yeah. were never going to be the Kings of Leon. If we were going to be the Kings of Leon, we would have been the Kings of Leon. Yeah. You know, like because we we grinded. And with that you second know? record, did you yeah. kind of give yourself like, all right, this is if this doesn't go, I'm out. So at the time, I I I never said that. Yeah. What happened was uh, Quinn got married. And before you, you before got, I got married, well, we got okay. married. He took a little time off, and then we finished the record. And Remember? before that record, were you dating your now wife? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and was she a big supporting element of? Sure, she yeah. came on tour with us. Oh wow! She would, like, I think I remember that. Now she did your merch. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. She would. She was a writer, so she would work remotely from. She would write during the day from the van. Wow! And then sell merch for us at night. She was great. She was awesome. Um, but yeah, so. You know, he got married. He got married. We took a little time off that summer, got ready, jumped in the studio. At that point, like, and this is, I remember, that kind of end of the aughts. Like, guitar rock is not having the kind of success or people are not as interested in it as it was. And also, like, we had been found out a little bit as a band. Like, these guys aren't an art rock band. These guys are just, like, two <laughs> chipper... Jersey dude. Yeah, two up chipper the mountain Jersey, bros. Up the mountain bros, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so, like, we had kind of been found out a, lot of, a little bit, I think, you know? And, like, they're not very good live. I mean, they're enjoyable, question mark? <laughs> you know? Um, so the record didn't... You know, we had some songs in there that we were really proud of, and it was a different kind of record. Again, like, I, I don't, I, at the time, I didn't think it was that different. It was like, in Ghosts, we made the best sounding record we could. In yeah. Savages, we made the best sounding record we could. Except that Savages, we did with like Dean Baltalonis, who had done the last three Hold Steady records. Wow. And like, you know, I had added a keyboard player to try and like make the sound yeah, I better. That, the guy with the straightened hair. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. A great it guy. wasn't straightened. It was just straight. Oh, it was. Wow. <laughs> but he wore it as if it were straightened, <laughs> for sure. Um, but in the spring, you know, it was like, all right, let's do this. Let's yeah. go to South by. I booked us like 13 showcases at South by, amazing showcases. And I was like, we, we need a manager. We need a new booking agent. And we need our label to like, reinvest in us in this record. Let's yeah. do a set. Like, we didn't even get a video. You know, we didn't even get a video budget. Because there wasn't enough right. press or buzz or a tour, you yeah. know, what are they going to throw good money after bad? So, um, and then so we came back from South by Southwest with nothing, none of those things. And in fact, our our booking agent who we were trying to replace dropped us before we got to fire him. No way. Yeah. So um, at that point, you know, Quinn was like, "Hey, man, I got to make some money. Like, we're not touring. I don't have any money." I'm like, "All right, you go do that. I'm going to try and be a songwriter for a little bit. See if we can get some momentum from me writing songs. Like, get a publishing deal. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I like invested the next the rest of the year in um, trying. This is the spring of 2011. Trying to um, write tunes, write pop tunes. I was oh. like, I'll be the next Ryan Tedder. Yeah. Why not? I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I met this cat called Pete, Peter Wade. And he was uh, he was the production half of MNDR. MNDR is a, a female artist, Amanda Warner, who is an incredible artist, super gifted songwriter. She had a bunch of cuts with like Diplo and Mark Ronson. She was in Mark Ronson's like international business band wow. and had that cut with uh, Q Tip, um, Bang Bang, whatever. It was she was a, she was fantastic. 
And me and him started writing pop songs together and like I got a cut on like a shaggy record and like we we were cranking out tunes. But for from let's see, when South by March, I met him like April, May or something, maybe April. Till September, five days a week, 10, 15, 20 hours a day, I was in the studio writing with him, not getting paid because yeah. that's not how writing works. And and it, it didn't, I didn't, nothing really connected in a meaningful way. And like at that point, I kind of screwed myself. Like I should have probably gotten a job. Yeah. And then I could have developed that, that skill or had done it with, you know, as much intensity, but not just solely leaned on that. And then. You know, my my at the time my girlfriend was like working, and I was like paying three hundred dollars a month in rent, yeah. which is from like my DJ gigs, from my weird television show that I had <laughs> on a gay television <laughs> network. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's your boyfriend do? Um, he's a songwriter and he's a DJ and a blogger, <laughs> and he hosts a, a television show on a gay television network. You know, like it yeah. was not it was the kind of thing that you do when you're in New York City and like in yeah. between careers, and um. And at that point, I I had met this guy, uh, so I so I was like, I need to get a gig. I got to figure something out. So yeah. I'll go back to the music industry. But the music industry in the, in the course of the three years that I had been on the road, three or four years that I been on the road, had changed drastically. Yeah, like Spotify kind of came in and, and took over iTunes. And... Spotify had come in. It it hadn't completely killed iTunes yet. Um, this is a 2011. It 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 was huge in the in Europe. Yeah, but it, in the states. Yeah, I still have emails here when I first started at Human in 2011, like being like, hey, does anybody want to try this Spotify thing? I have some invite codes, you know. And uh, so the music industry hadn't yet gotten on its feet. Sync was a big thing, like, you know, putting music Music tracks against into ads or or, or TVs or ad um, TV shows. So I I was like, all right, sync, sync. That's something I can do. I have good taste in music. I can be music supervisor. So I knew one guy in advertising who I went to college with at UConn. He introduced me to a guy who owned a place called Human. I took a meeting with him. He liked me. He always wanted to work in the music industry. I had just come from the music industry. So to him, I was like a legitimate yeah, get. Yeah, he was like, you, oh, you're, you're the real deal. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> come on and, in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we hit it off and, you know, like, I sent him a DVD of Wet Hot American Summer because he mentioned that he he went to Jewish camp, summer camp. And I was like, and he was, thought that was hilarious that I sent him a DVD after a meeting. And uh, and he gave me a call like two months later and was like, come work for me. So that was September of that year. So from April to September, it was just like five months, I guess. I had moved from trying to be a songwriter to being like, oh, I work in advertising now. Wow. And you were cool with that. Well, I was hungry, dude. Yeah. I needed it. Yeah. I mean, to be a functioning person in New York City, like, you only get so long. And yeah. this is, like, coming off. And remember, it's, like, five months without a gig. Yeah. A proper gig. You know, like, 200 bucks here, 150 bucks there, whatever. You know, 400 bucks. I used to get paid $400 for doing an episode of this show called Threesome. You know, it wow. was, like, 400 bucks. Cool. Whatever. Thank you to my friends who let me yeah. goof off and talk uh, about sex on television. But, um you know, before that, I was in a band, and like that's not any kind of lucrative lifestyle either. Yeah, especially coming from the fact that we hadn't toured since the previous spring. Right. So I had been broke for so long, and and um, and so I was just like, I need a job, and I was I was going to be thirty that October. Yeah. And I was like, man, what I'm coming up doing? on that. So you're, well, yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. you have like you have yeah. such a great head on your shoulders. You're going to be fine. I don't care. But uh, <laughs> I did not. I I I was I was kind of. Um, 
like uh, experienced like a a a lost uh, a sense of loss in the thing that I had been trying to do for the past five or six years, like yeah. such a tremendous loss and having to step away from it. And I was just lost, you know, and I just, and this was a lifeline, this gig that came at exactly the right time. And all I, and I was good at it right away. Wow. Like I was good at it right away. And there's value in that, you know, anything you do, even if you don't like it, if you're good at it, you're like, wow. One thousand yeah. percent, you know, and it's like, and the stress of it was, is like, you know, when you go on stage, like there's some things that you can't account for. I used to lose my voice all the time. I'd break guitar strings. Like these are things that like you should be able to control. But yeah. for some reason, I wasn't able to control them. And here, you know, I got, got to come to a place and have these kind of thoughtful conversations about music and art and and the consumer and how to connect and scoring. And I was learning something, which was the first time in a long time I had learned something. So for me, it was an amazing fit to be here. And it really was a lifeline. Quinn had gone on to... You know, he was working with his parents, who are lovely folks, and have kind of put together very interesting uh, professional careers themselves. His well, mom is like a talent agent for kids. No way. His dad is like this guy who's like, I think they calls he calls himself an uh, ecological consultant, which is if you're trying to build a dock on your f- lakefront property and it's protected property. And you need a certain level of permits that need to be passed by so many different people. And he knew that world well enough. So he created this industry. So, wow. yeah, it's totally weird, I think. So Quinn was doing that. And I was like, I'm going to, we're just, we'll take a step away. Yeah. I started managing a band. You did? I started promoting shows. And like, I was like, and all of it was very secondary and very like hobbyistic. And was that your way of just kind of trying to stay in it? I think it was just like the natural progression of what I had in my mind. Yeah. That I would work in the music industry. I would, as an artist. Yeah. I, when that had wrapped up, I would take the skills and resources and I would try and build a career from it. And totally. it just felt like, listen, I know how to and build a band. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I know how to build a band. Now yeah. I have access to advertising. This yeah. is a great opportunity. I can pipe these people into the ad thing. And like, oh, I could put out, I, I started a record label. I, I'm, I'm going to put out vinyl. And and yeah, but ultimately, like all of those things kind of drifted away as I, I lost interest or, or did not have the kind of passion for developing other people's art as much as I had in investing in myself in this industry, which is advertising, which yeah. I've been really fortunate enough to find some success in. Well, and yeah. then in, in like 2015, you guys got back together to do some shows, right? Yeah. 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 Which is like, which was also kind of liberating because I was like, all right, well, I kind of have a good footing uh, here and I'm going to get married and I got married in 2015. And, oh, amazing. Uh, and one of our other good friends that I had been in other bands with was kind of like kicking around. And so... We're like, let's start playing again. And we did. And it was hard. It was hard work. <laughs> yeah. I actually it's remember like, you know t- what I mean? 2015 is when yeah. I, uh, you know, there's like a lot of stages of sobriety. There's like, you know, when, you, when you're when you not sure before you fully accept it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And When you're like, I'm going to take a break. Yeah. I'm, I'm a problem drinker. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. you guys played pianos. And in that hiatus time, oh, yeah. I had gotten uh, a close friend of mine moved here. Shout out, Wes McDaniel. What's up, Wes? And... Uh, I was like, man, you got to listen to this band. He's like, yo, this band is incredible. And he actually had uh, never been to a live rock show. Oh, no. And you that got, was his first one. And you guys played pianos. And I was oh, like, no. I was like, dude, you got to come. You don't know what these guys are like live. And yeah. he was like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Honestly, one of the best memories of my, like that show. I don't know if you remember this. I do remember that. You, you, you there was like 
everyone, all the Gay Blade cult fans were there. It was sold out for sure. Yeah. And you were like grabbing drinks at people that did know you and yep. you were pouring it on their heads. Yes. And it was so right. rock and roll. It's so funny that you remember that fondly because as I go, as I now do the kind of time lapse thing. So we got back together in like 2014. Yeah. Started playing shows. And after that show, I, was, I felt like I, I had besmirched the name of the thing that I cared so much about at that show. What? So I felt like I, I took this thing <laughs> because I didn't, it was all spectacle. I mean, that was one of the, sh- that's one of the shows I talk about when I'm like, when people are like, you playing shows? I'm like, no way, dude. The last time I played a show, we had a 45 minute, 50 minute slot and I played four songs and ran around the audience and threw drinks on people for the entirety of the show. Me and my friend to this day talk about that being the best oh concert gosh, of our lives. Like so nothing funny. was ever as rock and roll. I know, but yeah. you know what I mean? That's the kind of show that you relapse at. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, and if, I ha- if I, honestly, if I was like one step further, I probably should have gone to a meeting the next day. <laughs> You know, it was yeah. like a troubled young man. But he was so good, yeah. man. Oh, I, so, I think, I think it's if, funny having different perceptions oh, of the man. same moment, how that can happen in art. But then as like a 35-year-old man, yeah. not having played really professionally, because, you know, we would play at as with our cult fans and we would play great shows. We, would get, we were opening up for the whole steady while I was at Human. Like, we were doing great shows. Yeah. Um, while I was not a dedicated musician, or not a career musician. But that show to me felt like I I was more excited about hanging out before the show with my friends who didn't live in New York City, and I did, and going on stage and goofing off and being silly and not honoring the thing that... I am so proud of, yeah. you know, the career that I did have as a musician. I was, I still am like, as you know, you can hear me talk about it. I'm, yeah. I'm very proud of it. And I'm, as you should be, I'm, I'm, uh, I am astonished that I got to do the things I did, yeah. because, you know, again, because of how flippant we were about it. But then it kind of, it, that moment always feels like, man, like I, I should have taken that moment and done something different with it. I, and I know that's hard to explain because I know that if, if at the time yeah. you being there, you're like, this is great. But there was a significant portion of that show, that audience, that was waiting for the DJ to go on. And that's a small room. Yeah. You know? It is a small room. It's like yeah. a 75, yeah. 100 person room. Yeah. And when half of that room is just waiting for a DJ and like, I'm like, my pride is broken and yeah. all I want to do is somehow recapture the lightning in a bottle of my 20s or something you know it felt like i was acting out and it didn't feel on it like an honest celebration of the gay blades whereas 10 years earlier me doing that was an honest celebration of the gay blades that was me the authenticity was gone exactly exactly or or it was an authentic uh reaction to the situation but it was not one born from celebration it was one born of like self-pity and like uh, embarrassment or something you know so i mean could there be a more uh, apt kind of metaphor for art yeah and i mean it's like to the maker and to, to to the audience it's like it's not for me and, and or, you know, and, and your art is not for you. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the act can be wholly enriching, but there's no point in us doing this for ourselves. And in that moment for me, I was in my, 
I was experiencing that. That was yeah. happening to me. Totally. As opposed to like me being one with the audience and the spirit of the thing that would have happened, you know, eight years earlier or something. And and for those artists listening out there that are either in bands or want to formulate bands, you mm-hmm. know, now kind of that we live in that era where Spotify and YouTube and those things are a thing, mm-hmm. you know, do you do you think something like the Gay Blades now that would be easier or harder for it mm. to happen? I think the band, the Gay Blades, would be, like, with the same guts, it would be more difficult. Um, Especially with the PC thing we talked about. Yeah, Yeah. but also just, like, you know, two white guys, you know, bashing away on instruments. Like, it's just not interesting, I don't think, anymore. Um, Maybe I'm being cynical about it. I I, I have to, like, in, in complete honesty i'm not super connected to the kind of quote-unquote local scene or burgeoning music scene i'm not either yeah yeah i i have to imagine that it's like anybody with a good idea is going to make make some noise yeah and i I just i feel like there's going to be provocateurs at every level and in a way that no one's seen it and they're being honest and vulnerable and and they all every op and they look at Every situation has an opportunity to grow and to steal and profit from other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, there is no, there is no gracious success that comes from like someone, like all of a sudden you're going to get discovered and yeah, people will bear witness to your genius. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I think um, if anybody does want to start a band, is a long, hard road, no matter how you do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, talk about MGMT. Look at those guys. You know, they have, they have a really hard time. Yeah. You know, they're putting out. They just put out another record Nobody a little while knows ago. About it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like it is. It is a death sentence if you are solely committed to Success. being the Stones. Yeah. You can't be the Stones. Yeah. Anymore. It doesn't exist. No. And even the Stones wasn't the Stones. You know, those guys, I mean, you know. Yeah. Mick Jagger is like one of the most shrewdest investors of all time. I know. know? And they hate each other. Yeah, of course. I I mean, I hate everybody. You know, by the end of this conversation, we're going to hate each other. (laughs) Um, You hated my favorite mm -hmm. show. (laughs) I hated your favorite show. And they'll say, I now think worse of you. No, I, I, I think that, you know, anybody who's out there that is trying to make music for a living, I hope that you can find all the ways to make money because it's definitely that kind of like long tail thing. Like keep your publishing, take a bit of everything, you Don't know, let merchandise, do strategic partnerships with people, reach across the pond. You know, touring is expensive as hell. Yeah. You know, jump, keep your band small, jump in a van with someone else, share yeah. the van, share the costs of touring. That's what we did. Yeah. You know, we used to tour in a cheap Cherokee because we could. When we went to the UK, the third time that our quote unquote indie buzz band record got released, we toured in a Ford Focus. Wow. And we would stack the drums inside of each other. And I, like, we would have to load our gear into the hotel every night because it was a Ford Focus. You know, there's a, you know what there is? There's an amazing book that anybody wants to be an artist, a career artist, a maker of things needs to read. Anybody who's endeavoring to partner with another human being on anything needs to read this book. It's written by the Duplass brothers. It is called, oh, Like Brothers. Like Brothers. There you go. Like Brothers. Read it. Yeah. It is uh, a wonderful examination of creativity and relationships and... There's a, some really great lessons on 
how to make a business out of creativity and a it's real. I wish I had read that. I, yeah. you know, one of the things that I felt a kinship with those guys is that you know I didn't wait for anyone to come to me before I started acting like a professional. Yeah, you know what I mean. Everyone's like, "How do I get a manager?" Yeah, you don't have anything to yeah. manage. You, yeah. you could, you know what I mean. Well, if you, that's the problem with Instagram is everyone <clears throat> wants it without doing the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? They want the life before they've earned it. Well, that's the thing. But, yeah, but also that's also the new paradigm. So it's like act as if yeah. and get and get your they influencers you, up, and, you can and do then it. you will. You'll have a product. You now. can steal a bunch of people's jokes and become the fat Jewish. You know yeah, what I mean? Whatever. And, and build a rosé company. It's sickening. It really makes me sick. Yeah, uh, but also it's like that's the paradigm. Yeah. I, don't hate anybody for for the hustle or putting one thing in front of the other. There is no one path to success. And as much as I hate it, like because I am a blue collar kid from a trash town from up, up the, the mountain, mountain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I I I I think that um, not everybody has to bleed. Yeah, you know. But you have to be working, and you have to be wily, and you have to act as if from the moment you get started, you yeah. know. And if you do, if you go on stage and you do the thing the same way the guy before you did the thing, but to varying degrees of quote unquote goodness, you will have no success. Yeah. <clears throat> and I and by success I mean the very simplest of degrees, yeah. the very most uh, humble of degrees. There is no success. I, I mean, I wonder how does that play for you as as an actor? I mean being a unique performer is dangerous i would think to some degrees when you are faced with a, like a three person panel yeah. casting agency yeah. right i mean it really it you know man it's one of those things where i got soberish in 2015 as we mm-hmm. talked about during that show and it's 2019 now so it 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 only now and I'm really happy with the team I have, but I'm not with like CAA or whatever. It took me mm-hmm. years of doing those panels of like doing crazy monologues where I was kind of like taking inspiration from you and doing crazy performances where mm-hmm. I could just see them looking at each other like, this guy's got talent, but he's out of his mind. You know what I mean? And we're, <laughs> yeah. we're people. And then like, I finally now it's like, I came into my own and I kind of matured <clears throat> up and I grew up a bit and I found my voice, you right. know, and I, it took me a long time. And for a lot of actors, it, it, it does take time. You know, like there are, there is that story of, you know, those Stranger Things kids who get discovered at eight and the first TV show is the biggest hit in the world. Right. But for most people, that that's not, you know, that's that's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. And look at, I mean, it, you know, for those kids, I mean, we, we my wife wanted to be a, like in on Mickey Mouse Club. That was her dream. No way. She wanted to be in the Mickey Mouse Club. And I think if I had. What's your wife's name? Nadine. Nadine. Shout Nadine. out. What's up, girl? Dizzle, Dizzle NYC. Um, yeah, she um, she wanted to be in the Mickey Mouse Club. Wow. That's like her goal. And I, as, from a kid, I was like, people were like, who wants to sing the solo? Like in first grade, I'd be like, my hand was up. You know, I'm like, <laughs> Put me on that stage. I got a falsetto. That would kill. So you knew you could sing young. <clears throat> I, di- I didn't know I could sing. I just, I just somebody was going to sing yeah. and I was like I just I remember I sang because you got five such an old... amazing voice too well thank yeah, you yeah. that's very nice of you <laughs> when I was in second grade second grade I guess they were like who wants to sing I was like I want to sing and it was because Katie DeNova was like the prettiest girl in class and she was going to sing the girl part and then I wanted to sing the boy part <laughs> and the boy part was for it was for five do you remember this movie Fievel 
uh, an American Tale. I think mice, I do. And there was a song, and it was like, Somewhere out there beneath the pale blue light, someone's thinking of me and loving me tonight. Anyway, so that's the song, and I sang that song in front of my entire school at second grade, and I sang the whole thing in like this insane falsetto that a seven-year-old boy would have. No way. And I was made fun of ruthlessly for the rest of my career in that school. People would be like... <laughs> and all that has to cap off. <clears throat> Katie DeNova uh, got the really nice um, uh, mouse ears to oh. wear. And I was supposed to have the boy version of the very nice ears. But because I have a huge Irish head, it wouldn't fit on my head. So Frank Muto got to wear them for his other thing, where he was Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, had no. nothing to do with mice. I don't know why he got to wear them. <laughs> the trauma, and man. And then I had to wear the like construction paper version of it that all the dicks in the chorus were wearing. I mean, again, if I had a therapist, I would, these are the kind of things I would talk about. Well, man, a final few questions here. Um, yeah. What what's inspiring you now, man? Like, what do you music, TV, film? What... Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm I am deeply moved by like comedy. Uh, a past couple a couple years ago, I uh, I've always all those videos and shit that we'd make in Gay Blades and all the Man on the Street stuff was all me being hilarious, trying yeah. to be funny. You were, you succeeded. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so comedy now is like I think the thing that I'm most interested. in in absorbing or like caring about or stand up specifically stand, stand yeah. up yeah. or uh, I started I did like improv a couple of years ago just to see if I could do it and, nice and, and Where, like at, at, UCB, at UCB at UCB did yeah. you go all, all the tears or just the... I did I yeah. went all the way through and yeah. then I, I got to the point where I was like again I was like all these are young like 28 year olds yeah. who are like actual working comedians and I'm like 37 and I've got a son yeah. and like I don't want to be the comedy seller at 2 in the morning yeah, yeah. even if I did yeah. even if I, I I'm just not going to be yeah. I'm like I'm like I'm doing this for like a goof yeah you know and it was like the same kind of thing as that show I just I'm like I'm, you guys care this is your career and yeah. I feel like I'm taking up space and I'm not honoring it the way that you guys would be honoring it. And I felt I felt a little self conscious about that. And um but they're all I have like so many young comedy friends. They're all like twenty seven oh, and they're wow. like burgeoning in their career. And, and you like, go do you go see their shows? Me. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time not because yeah. I do have a two year old yeah, son, totally. so I don't really go. But but yeah, I really like comedy. I I, I find it um to be the a fascinating, mystical art yeah you know in a way that i think some people look at music when for me i'm looking at music it's like a curse i dare say i think comedy is one of the hardest arts to tackle oh my god because it's just like so subjective and it's so hard to you know comedy is so of the moment whereas tragedy is always going to be tragic but what's Mm -hmm. funny to one generation may not translate Mm -hmm. and those like dave Chappelle and eddie murphy that can can make that transcendental nature last for decades it's it's a shot at immortality really you know yeah but even i mean it's so it's so mystical and enchanting to me i i i don't know you know two people that say the same exact words in the same exact way and holding the microphone the same exact exactly the same way and you're like that motherfucker is funny yeah that person is not funny got nothing and i don't know it is like they i think charisma is latin for like Oh, you need a fact check on this. Yeah, it's. I think it's like something wind or something like that. It's like wow. magic wind or something. Amazing. Like that. And uh, 
And I think it, it is true. It's like magic, you know, like when people are successful, it's like, it's magic. It's special. It's yeah. like, it's frightening sometimes when somebody is so funny. Um, so I really love comedy. So anything, any stand up special, I'll, I'm all in on. I, I like the, the, like the, the stuff that's lots of, let's pathos written. I love the gags. I love, I love all of it. There is you nothing. You like, like Danny McBride? Like, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 100%. It. I'm looking Fantas- forward to that show. Yeah, yeah. The kind of Will Ferrell, yeah. can't keep no good boy down style. You know, there's, Adam Pally. Uh, oh, is Adam Pally's incredible. Adam Pally is one of my His favorite Conan, comedians. Like appearances, I die for. One hundred percent. If there was, yeah. <laughs> if there was a guy working that I could just be friends with, yeah. and he's in New York too. Oh wow. Yeah, I, have to get I him would on just the show. I'll get him bring on you on. Like, You'll this is actually it. a blind date. <laughs> Just for friendship, <laughs> he's just an interesting because he, you know, he had like a, a a cool, you know, acting career. Yeah. He's a writer, producer. He lives in New York. He's dedicated to his family. He's tried theater. Uh, he's a, he's an interesting person who I don't know. I I, I really love Adam Pally. If I Adam Pally's in something, I'm gonna watch it. That's amazing. Yeah. And then sure. what? What's next for for James Wells? I mean, I know you just mm. had a kid, which is no small feat. But do you yeah. have any any art projects? Like I have to say, the kid was pretty easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> I had sex, and then I held my wife's leg back while she pushed for five hours. Um, yeah, I do have a kid, which is which is my which is the thing I'm most interested yeah. in. Your main comedy. project. Yeah, he is hilarious, which is funny to me. Um, What's next for James Wells? I, I do need something. I'm starting to feel like that a itch. pull. Yeah, to do something. Any, any chance of a Gay Blade show? You know, uh, Quinn texted me today that there's a 25th anniversary at The Saint, which is the place that I've played. the f- Every band I've ever been in has played their first show at The Saint. Wow. So they are having their 25th anniversary in November, and they want to know if we want to play a show. And I said, didn't we do that in last November, <laughs> which was supposed to be kind of our last yeah. show? Because Quinn actually ended up having a kid in December. Wow. Okay, so we both have kids. Yeah, um, I didn't know that was supposed to be your last show last year. It wasn't like yeah. supposed yeah. to yeah. be, yeah. but it felt like yeah. you know it was like you know as a counter part to that piano show. Yeah, it was similar in so many ways. Wow, you know the the show opened with me. This is so self. Uh, no serving are you is oh dear okay? I'm in no rush this, okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was so self-serving um, we started the show and I went on stage and I said how are you guys doing like, like the place was sold out the Saints a so very great. popular venue in, it's, a, it's in a, the shore yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a really cool it's a tight room it's 250 300 yeah. people maybe Wait, did Springsteen play there I mean, I'm sure he's yeah, been on stage, yeah, but yeah. It, it does not yeah. date far enough back it, to when he was working. He played yeah. the fast lane, yeah. I think, famously. He yeah. played the fast lane. Um, but, uh, yeah, I get on stage, and everyone's there. Everyone's in such amazing spirits. I have one of the guys who works here at Human. I have his, his band kind of play. They play to, a, like, you know, a couple hundred kids. And then a band that was from my hometown of West Milford called wow. the Milwaukee's. They played, you know, and they're even a couple years older than me, but they're an amazing rock band. They have an album called uh, Missile Command, wow. which if anyone is listening and cares about my taste in music, go listen to that record. It's, yeah. it's probably almost 20 years old now, and it's amazing. Wow. Uh, they played, and so it was like a, a really magical night. Quinn's wife's there. She's pregnant. We're walking around. I have this idea 10 minutes before we go on. Quinn's life, wife has gone into labor. Quinn had to leave. 
I'm going to do the set solo. And if anybody knows any of the songs that I'm about to play, come up and play on his kit. And then we'll have a rotating cast of drummers, whoever knows how to play this song. Yeah. So I so I get up and I'm like, and I tell people this, and everyone is like, oh my God. So I was like, so Quinn's not going to be here, but I just can put your hands together. Like, there's going to be a new gay blade by the end of the night. And everybody <laughs> is believing me. Dude, it was insane. I spent the entire cr- we again like this is this is such a small band, and again I never act like it's as small as it is. Yeah, we broke up and then reunited a week later to promote a show that wasn't getting enough. We were like, "This is it. We're done." When we broke up, and then we got back together literally a week later. Like there was honest outpouring of emotion from this cult of fans. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was like. It was. It felt really fun. To yeah. Do that. So these are the kind of. So I do this, and everybody believes me. I mean, guys that like people that help produce the Gay Blades records who've been on tour with us. They're like, dude, I got you. I, like all of a sudden, they say, I'm gonna play drums. It's gonna be great. Don't worry about. it. I got you. So I'm like, literally at one point, some dude's walking on stage like to jump and and he's play. Like, I'll get and I, and I have to lean over off mic and go, it's a bit. Stop. So I say this, and I'm like, we're gonna have the thing. And I'm like, well, anyway, here we go. We're going to give it a try. And all of a sudden, Quinn from the back of the room, Puppy Mills, is in the sound man's mic. And he's like, James. And then we bring up like, the levels. leave a whisper <laughs> on my pillow. You know that song yeah. uh, from Top Gun? Yeah, you know? yeah. Leave a whisper on the ground. And, uh, and he's like, I left. I left my wife. I'm like, you left? He's like, well, I didn't leave her, but, you know. Someone else is taking her to the hospital. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, she's not obviously yeah, going into labor totally. at all. And, and, we, and the then crowd he go comes nuts? up. And I'm like, yeah. way. He comes up on stage. We slow dance. And then we play the show. I mean, the show is, you know, again, probably 10 songs. Took two hours to get through. It was as ridiculous. I'm throwing drinks. I'm kicking people's drinks off the bar. Amazing. I'm breaking strings and and losing my voice. But it was a total honest celebration it felt like wow that was like an incredible way to say thank you and like every song the all 300 people or 250 people are just every word you know and um and i was like yeah that's a pretty cool thing yeah pretty cool you know totally so um i don't know i don't know if we're gonna do a gay blade show maybe i mean there's of course there's like it's just me and another dude yeah and who both love each other you know like i mean we talk on the phone who talks on the phone anymore (laughs) You know, I'm even talking about my mom, you know. Um, next, next final two. Uh, yes. So what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? You're hilarious and I, I know you're not an actor and you, mm-hmm. you don't promote things. But, yep, you yep, know, yep. What, what, what's a good way for people, whatever project it may be, Gay Blades or not? I mean, I don't really have, I have like a private Instagram. <laughs> okay, I, so what's your public like, one? <laughs> I don't have a public one. Oh, I'm gay- not, I, the Gay Blades have one, but like yeah. I don't do anything on yeah. there really. No, I'm not, I'm, you know, sa- I'm you sad Twitter? to say... I do, but I don't really update it. I'm more. <laughs> if you 2019, like, you James can Ward. add me on Facebook if you want, and if I kind of know you, or you have enough common people, add me on Facebook. If you want to see pictures of my kid, add me on Instagram. I probably won't add anyone to either, yeah. in all honesty. But I, I do. I have an itch, and something will come out, and I'll, I'll. Act then as, you'll create a. And exactly, yeah, then, yeah. you know, I, I made a, a fake. Um, when I was going to do a solo record, I was going to call it Pow Pow Maya. Wow. And uh, someone told me that that was insensitive. And I was like, any more or less insensitive than the gay blades? And <laughs> yeah. they're like, no. And I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. Pow, pow, Maya. You know, and I was going to call that the Ballad of Pow, pow, Maya. So there may be something for Ballad of Pow, pow, Maya. I Amazing. 
Yeah. James Wells, thank you for being here, brother. Dude, thank you. It's really great to see you. I'm All so right, proud great of you. Great to see you. Checks all the time with the milk box, portrait blown up, post size. I might have found a way that keeps some hope in their eyes. Oh, yeah, oh, you could pay handle on the side of the street and hopes to find money or food for us to eat. Oh, yeah, well, I could sell your body and you could sell mine. If only we could find somebody to buy. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.